0: John chapter 10, beginning at verse 1. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs up some other way, the same is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. Now, one thing I can tell you about John chapter 10 is that it follows right after John chapter 9. That's a pretty elementary observation, even though I should take pains to point out That the Bible, when it was originally written, it wasn't divided up into chapter and verses. That's something that people added on to it many, many years later after it was written. So there's a theme that John carries on all the way from chapter 9 into chapter 10. And some people wonder if this is chronologically arranged. It may be that chronologically there's some gap between the events of chapter 9 and chapter 10. But there's no doubt That as a theme is concerned, the Holy Spirit was working through John the Gospel writer to tell us that the theme of chapter 9 flows right into chapter 10. Now what was discussed in John chapter 9? We had a controversy surrounding a man who was born blind and then he was miraculously healed by Jesus. And there was a big controversy about this because it happened on a Sabbath day. All this to point out that that man who was healed and had such a wonderful work of Jesus happen in his life, that man was rejected. That man was insulted. That man was attacked by the religious leaders. And here in John chapter 10, Jesus is going to contrast the wickedness, the unfaithfulness of those religious leaders along with his wonderful spiritual leadership. And so he's using the illustration of a shepherd and sheep to give that. And the whole idea is this. I mean, I'll give you over the whole passage. Jesus pointing out, I am a good and faithful shepherd. The religious leaders that rule over you at the present time, he was speaking to those people back then, they are not good and faithful leaders. Now, one way that he draws the contrast is by the way that they came into their work. Look at it here in verse 2. He who does not enter the sheepfold by the door but climbs up some other way, the same is a thief and a robber. Jesus has in mind the kind of enclosure they would use in the ancient world to pen in sheep out in the fields. We might call it a sheep pen. They called it a sheep fold, but it was an enclosure. It had no gate, either made out of metal or wood. The shepherd himself was the gate, He would lie across or sit across the opening of it, let the sheep in at night. They would be safe and protected because of the walls around them. And then he would let them out to the pasture lands in the morning. Now you can see in this kind of construction, there's only one legitimate way in and out of the sheepfold. It's through the opening. If you were to get in any other way than the legitimate way, you'd have to hop the fence. And that right away would identify you as someone not only illegitimate, but up to no good purpose. And do you see what Jesus is trying to do in this great illustration? The idea is that there's a door. There's a proper way to gain entry, but not everyone who stands among the sheep has come in them to serve them in a legitimate, God-ordained way. And those religious leaders who ruled over God's people at the time Jesus taught this, my friends, I'm just going to give it to you very honestly, they are the ones spoken of here. And, And they didn't come in through God's appointed means, no, not at all. They came in through personal and political connections. They came in through formal education. They came in through ambition manipulation and competition that's how they gain entry into their positions of spiritual leadership and jesus said that's no good that's an illegitimate way to come into a ministry place among my people and therefore they were like thieves and robbers among god's people Now, you and I hear the words thieves and robbers. We think it refers to the same thing. Well, not in the original language that Jesus spoke in. In the original language of the New Testament, there's a distinction between a thief and a robber. A thief is someone who steals by deception. They fool you. They con you. they, They trick you. That's stealing by deception. That's the thief. The robber is someone who steals by violence and intimidation. See, there's two different kinds of thieves that Jesus is speaking about. And friends... He's trying to identify this in a spiritual realm because some leaders among God's people today, and it pains me to say this, I don't even like talking about this quite frankly, but there's some leaders among God's people today, they didn't get their position in a legitimate way. They gained it by deception like the thief or others They they used force or authority or intimidation like the robber. You know what we need? We need a legitimate shepherd who ultimately is Jesus Christ. Friends, you need to be careful in your own walk with God that your focus for spiritual leadership in your life is always upon Jesus. Now, I pray that God puts around you, and I feel awkward talking this way, but I'll just say what's on my heart and clean it up later if it needs to be cleaned up. I pray that God puts around you spiritual leaders that truly follow in the heart and in the footsteps of Jesus, and I pray that I would be such a person. But I want you to know that there are spiritual leaders out and about who don't fit the description, and we need to be wary of it, and we need to be compassionate upon those Who have suffered from bad spiritual leadership. Now, there's good spiritual leadership out there. Look at there in verse 2. He who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. The true shepherd comes in the legitimate way, the designed way. He comes in through love, he comes in through calling, through, through care and sacrificial service. God has this way and it's always worthy to see. How did this person come to their place of authority among God's people? Was it in a way that really reflects the heart and the mind of Jesus or was it not? Now, Jesus is going to continue talking along these lines, beginning now in verse 3, where he says, to him, the doorkeeper opens. In other words, the, the legitimate shepherd, to him, the doorkeeper opens and the sheep hear his voice. And he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And when he brings out his own sheep, he goes before them and the sheep follow him for they know his voice. Yet they will by no means follow a stranger, but will flee from him for they do not know the voice of strangers. Jesus used this illustration, but they did not understand the things which he spoke to them. See, Jesus says, that there is a valid way of entry. It's not for the con men. It's not for the muggers, so to speak, that might be seeking to seek a place among God's people because we're warned of those people. But no, the legitimate shepherd, he comes in in the legitimate way and the doorkeeper opens to him. And verse three, he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. Jesus has in mind now that in one of those sheepfolds you actually have the sheep from several different flocks you know maybe the shepherds would work in kind of a cooperative and when nighttime comes you need to get the sheep in an enclosure so they're not under threat from wolves or robbers out in the community or whatever out in the fields and so they say let's put all our sheep together in this one sheepfold and there they are now do you think that the sheep keep very regimented things inside of that fold no they're all mixing and matching and all around and then how do they separate which sheep belong to which shepherd in the morning it's very easy The shepherd just sits outside of the gate, and they would do this literally. They would give their distinctive call. They would give sort of a yelp or a call or a voice unto the sheep. And the sheep that belonged to that shepherd would instantly know, that's my shepherd, and they would leave the enclosure and go with that sheep. And it works. I mean, I've never seen it personally, but I've read so many accounts where this is actually how it works. The sheep have sort of a brilliant understanding of who their shepherd is, and they know how to follow their shepherd. The sheep hear the shepherd's voice. Now, I want you to understand this. When he knows the sheep by name, when they respond to his voice, it shows that the shepherd has a personal Connection to the sheep. He calls them by name. I am, um, I hope you know what it's like to have Jesus call you by name. Now, when I use that phrase, I'm sort of speaking in a figure of speech because I'm not telling you to expect that you should hear the audible voice of Jesus reverberating on your actual physical eardrums. There's a way that we understand in the inner man, in the inner woman, that God speaks to us and that he speaks to us in our heart, so to speak. In that kind of arrangement, you know what I mean when it says that Jesus speaks to you. And friends, I hope you understand what it means for Jesus to take an individual interest in you. Where he calls you by name. He did it several times in the Gospels. In the Gospel of John, just for example, he calls Philip by name. He calls Mary Magdalene by name. He calls Thomas by name. He calls Simon Peter by name. And every time when he calls those ones by name, it is a life-changing moment for each and every one of them. I want you to have that life-changing moment where you realize that Jesus doesn't have just a general interest in humanity. Yes, Jesus loves the little children all the children of the world. Okay, great. He has this great general interest. Wonderful. But you realize that not only a general interest, he loves you. He calls you by name. What this shows me is that Jesus doesn't work on an assembly line. I think that's an important principle for us to talk about. In other words, He doesn't work the same way in each individual life, but he has a personal relationship with his sheep. He knows you. He knows what you've been through. He knows what your background is. He knows the experiences you've had, good and bad. He knows what's in front of you. And he has an individual interest. He's not stamping out widgets in a factory that all look the same. But he has an individual connection with his sheep and he works in them on that very basis. Friends, I hope you know that. I hope you're of those that it says in verse 4, for they know his voice. That you know something about the voice of Jesus and you respond to it. Can I tell you the best way for you to become educated, so to speak, in the voice of Jesus? Read his word. Is that not the purest, most reliable expression of his voice? Read his word. Instead of waiting for a mystical experience where Jesus would express his voice to you, which may or may not come, I'm just saying God never does that, but I'm just saying instead of waiting for that, why don't you give yourself to deep reading and meditation upon his word and you will learn to discern the voice of Jesus because you'll be so familiar with it. His sheep know his voice. It continues on in verse 7. Then Jesus said to them again, Most assuredly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who ever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. Friends, did you see that great phrase in verse 7? I am the door. That's what Jesus says. If you want to get in his sheep pen, you have to go through Jesus. Now, I understand. Somebody may object. And I'm not trying to dismiss this objection. God forbid that I would mock this objection. But somebody says, that's pretty narrow, isn't it? Why didn't God just punch through a lot of doors in the sheep enclosure? well we could debate that all day long but I'm just telling you Jesus said there's only one way into this sheep pen and that's through Jesus you come through him but the wonderful thing is that Jesus invites you to come in through him you can come You can come into his sheepfold. And notice what will happen in verse 9. And he says, that one will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. Jesus is using sort of some Hebraic figures of speech when he says, like, go out and in and find pasture. To speak about the beautiful, blessed life of a sheep. I'm not all that familiar with sheep. All I know is what I see in movies and pictures and such. I can't tell you that, yes, I've spent a lot of time out in the field with sheep. No, I haven't at all. But I know how to read the people who have. And I know how to see this. I know how to notice when you just see a picture or see a scene in a movie where you have the scene of happy, well-cared-for sheep. Do you know what I'm talking about? There's the shepherd leaning upon his staff looking over the sheep, making sure that no predator is around. So that means the sheep are safe. There's not going to come thieves or robbers. There's not going to come a wolf to try to take care of any of the lambs. No, no, no. There's the shepherd and there's the sheep and the sheep are happy. I don't know if sheep exactly smile, but you just look at them in that scene. You go, the sheep are content. They're happy. Jesus says, that's what I give to the sheep who are in my pen. And this is how he describes it. Look at verse 10 where he says, I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. I want you to notice something about this verse. For many of you, this verse is familiar and I'm happy if it's a familiar verse to you because it's a good promise from God's word. Jesus says that he came. He came to give people life and not just a little bit of life, but to translate the idea, extra life, abundant life, super abundant life that's what Jesus came to give us now friends here's the point here is that Jesus came to give us this life and he's tying it very much to the connection of the idea of shepherds and sheep how does a sheep have super abundant life how does a sheep have extra life do you have the scene in your mind there's the shepherd there's the sheep how does that sheep have extra life well you think hmm I know how the sheep has extra life That sheep is wearing designer clothing. That gives the sheep extra life. That doesn't do it, does it? No, I I, I know what it is. That sheep has a cord around its neck uh, with a purse and a lot of money in it. Is that how the sheep gets it? No, the sheep doesn't care about those things. Doesn't care about clothing. Doesn't care about money. You know what the sheep cares about? Being well fed, cared for by the shepherd, plenty of grass, Plenty of water, it's happy and content. I want you to think about it if you've never thought about it before. Abundant life doesn't mean an especially long life. Do you know people who have lived a long, long time and are very miserable? You can't say they have abundant life even though they have a lot of years. Abundant life is not an easy comfortable life. I know people that their life is pretty easy and comfortable. They seem to have everything provided for. And by any human measure, they should have an easy, comfortable life. But there's something desperately empty in their soul. And whatever abundant life is, they don't have it. No, abundant life doesn't refer to the ease of your life, the comfort of your life, the length of your life. Abundant life is a life of satisfaction and contentment in Jesus Christ. And you can't put a price on that. That makes somebody truly living extra life, abundant life. That's what Jesus has for you. I think about people who live their lives with a profound sense of discontentment. They have a gnawing unhappiness because they feel like, listen, there's more to this. I know there's more to it. I know I'm empty. I need more than this. They need the abundant life that comes from knowing, Jesus, you are my shepherd. You take care of me. You provide for my needs. And as long as I stay close to my shepherd, my life is filled with contentment and abundance. Now, I know God wants you to have that. I believe God wants you to have this contented life in him, this abundant life in him, and I know he wants you to have it not only for your sake, but there's a sense in which God wants you to have it for his sake. Do you realize that God is glorified through contented sheep? Have that picture. Picture the shepherd, okay? There's a shepherd, and look at his sheep. His sheep are weak and sick. They have sores. Their wool is all matted and gross. You know, they're limping around because they got a big bite mark out of their hindquarters from some a wolf that was around. You look at those sheep, and what would you say about the shepherd of those sheep? Pretty rotten shepherd. Then again, look at the fat, happy, contented, secure sheep. What do you say about that shepherd? You say, that's an awfully good shepherd when we live in the abundance of life and contentment that Jesus Christ has for us, it gives glory to him. People look at our life and they go, man, they must have a good shepherd. They must have an excellent shepherd who guides them in their life because look at where they are. Now, he's gonna go on and talk more about himself being the good shepherd, starting at verse 11. He says this, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep, but a hireling, he who is not the shepherd, one who does not own the sheep sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf catches the sheep and scatters them. The hireling flees because he's a hireling and does not care about the sheep. I am the good shepherd and I know my sheep and I am known by my own as the father knows me. Even so I know the father and I lay down my life for the sheep. Please notice this. He says in verse 11, I am the good shepherd. He says it so plainly that nobody could mistake the contrast. You religious leaders who treated this man who was born blind and now healed, you rejected him, you insulted him, you you attacked him, you did all these things to him. I'm not like you. I am the good shepherd. And when I see a wolf coming, I deal with it. By the way, that's part of the responsibility of a shepherd, isn't it? To try to discern when a wolf is coming and to deal with it. To to, to step up to the task. Shepherds need to step up at that appropriate moment. and, And be used of God to protect the flock against a wolf. But one of the ways they protect it is through their sacrificial service. Look at there in verse 11. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. You see, a bad shepherd, whom Jesus calls a hireling in these verses... The hireling will not defend the sheep and thinks that the flock exists for his benefit. No, 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 the good shepherd looks at the flock and he says, I exist for your benefit. You don't exist for my benefit. Now I want you to think about this and I especially want you to think about this phrase in verse 11. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. I want you to tie it back to verse 10. What was verse 10? Verse 10 said simply this. It said, I have come that they may have life and have it more abundantly. You need more life. You need extra life or abundant life. Now friends, where are you going to get that more life? Can I just give you a little hint? You don't need more of your own life. That's just, making, that's just going from the frying pan into the fire, isn't it? You don't need more of your own life. If you're looking for extra life, you don't need more of what you already have. You need the life of Jesus to come into you. And Jesus says, you know what, let me tell you what I do. Verse 11, I give my life for the sheep. Jesus, I need this abundant life, this extra life. You gave it to me, I receive it. That's the new life that I have. And it's just very simple. His life is our abundant life. I mean, isn't that plain? Isn't it simple? We only have extra life because Jesus gave his life for us. His life becomes our abundant life. Going on now to verse 16. Jesus says, And other sheep I have, which are not of this fold. Them I also must bring, and they will hear my voice, and there will be one flock, and one shepherd. Okay, in verse 16, Jesus said something very profound. But we need to understand what he means. Notice, go back to verse 16, and he says this. Other sheep I have which are not of this fold. Do you remember what the fold was? The fold was a structure. It was a sheep pen. The the sheep were enclosed inside of the structure. And Jesus looked at his sheep inside of that fold, inside of that pen, and he goes, okay, these are my sheep, but you know what? my flock is bigger than just this structure my flock is bigger than just this pen i have sheep not of this fold now friends who do you think he was talking about when he said that can i tell you who he was talking about he was talking about you He was talking about every Gentile believer. He was talking about everybody in a generation beyond that present generation which he spoke. He was talking about us. We are the sheep. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, if you're born again by God's Spirit, you are a sheep who is not of the fold that Jesus spoke of immediately. And Jesus was thinking of you even then. And he goes, they are just as much my flock. I am just as much their shepherd, even though they are not within the fold of first century Judaism they belong to me. Friends, this is a very engaging picture, especially because he says this in verse 16, there will be one flock. Notice this, one flock, many folds, many structures. If you want to think about it right here, we have a Sheep fold right here. Do we not have a structure right here, materially speaking, and a bunch of God's sheep are here together here this morning? This is a sheep fold. But you know what's wonderful? There are many folds scattered around our community and our city where many other of God's sheep are meeting together. Now, Jesus, Jesus did not say this. Jesus said, Hey, what's really important is bring them together all under one structure. He didn't say that. He said, It's okay that there's different folds, but they need to remember that they are always one flock. And friends, this is it. You know, the sheep get together and they kind of decorate their own fold, their own distinctive way. They have it, their own personality, their own, their reflectance there, what's important to them and how it's at. It's all reflected. But listen, we all understand that even though God has wonderful sheep of other folds, we are all together the same flock. Now, um, some of those other folds feel very different than our own. They might have a different uh, style of music or approach to worship. They they may be really liturgical. Uh, They they, they may have much better preaching. They they, they may have a much different style of service, longer, shorter, whatever it is. But here's the thing. How, with all these diverse structures or folds, how can there be unity among the flock? Friends, it's not complicated. I'm not saying it's easy, but it's not complicated. The sheep just need to keep their eye on the shepherd. If the sheep will gather round the shepherd, remember that phrase, to gather round the shepherd, then that's fine. The emphasis isn't on the fold that they're in. The emphasis is on the shepherd himself. Uh. I'll, I'll venture forth with this in a way that I, I, I didn't talk about at first service, but I'll just give this example. Um, I, I've got some problems in my own mind, in my own thinking, with the sheep fold, so to speak, of, say for example, the Roman Catholic Church. There are doctrines that they believe in uh, that, that I think uh, are off the mark. There are certain practices that they do that, oh man, that. And, and, and so when I look at the fold of Roman Catholicism, I go, man, I, I I don't want to be in that sheepfold. I'm I'm glad that God has me in my sheepfold. But let me tell you something. When you meet a dear brother or sister who's a Roman Catholic who really loves Jesus, all that just seems to fade away, doesn't it? Why? Because the emphasis isn't on the fold. We can have a common emphasis on our shepherd. And that's where the unity of the flock really comes through. And so as much as Christians can do it, when they put the emphasis on the shepherd, we understand this broad unity that we have together in the body of Christ. Jesus goes on here, verse 17. Therefore, my father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down on myself. I have power to lay it down and I have power to take it again. This command I have received from my father. Jesus is pointing out that this whole business about laying down his life, it's not just talk for him. He's actually going to do it. He's going to lay down his life and he alone has the power to raise his life again. Now verse 18. Therefore, there was a division again among the Jews Because of these sayings. And many of them said, He has a demon and is mad. Why do you listen to him? Others said, These are not the words of one who has a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? Friends, I have to admit, Jesus made absolutely bold and audacious claims. He he stood in front of this group right there and he goes, Listen, I'm the good shepherd, the religious leaders you have right now, they're not good. They're like con men and muggers. That's what he was saying, spiritually speaking. So Jesus explained that, that's a very bold thing to say, don't you think? Then Jesus says, not only am I the good shepherd, but I'm going to lay my life down, and when I lay my life down, I have the power to raise it up again. I will resurrect, and I'll resurrect myself. Friends, that's a very bold statement to make, don't you think? I mean, anybody can lay their life down. I don't know who can raise their own life up again. Only God. Now, was it boastful of Jesus to say this? Was it proud? Well, again, I I thought of a quote during first service that I'll just repeat now. I thought of it spontaneously and somebody corrected. I said it was Babe Ruth, but actually somebody came and said, no, Pastor David, I'm here to correct you. It was Dizzy Dean that actually said this. He said, it ain't bragging if you can do it. And to be able to say that you can raise yourself from the dead, it's not boastful, it's not proud. If you've got the goods to do it, you are just declaring who you actually are. Now, when Jesus said that, it divided people. Again, people are divided. Look at it there in verse 19. Therefore, there was a division again among the Jews because of these sayings. And some people said, he's demon possessed, he's crazy. That's what they said of Jesus. Friends, it is an amazing wonder that there was not an earthquake and a hailstorm and a plague when people actually looked at Jesus and called him demon-possessed. When people actually looked at Jesus and said, he's crazy, he's a madman. That's blasphemy to say that of Jesus. But Jesus allowed them to say it. You can see how entrenched people were in their rejection of Jesus and how crazy it was for them to say that about Jesus because the words of Jesus are supreme sanity. The works of Jesus were utterly unselfish and the effect of Jesus' work was completely beneficial to humanity. Friends, he was not demon-possessed. He was not a madman. That is blasphemous talk. So some people said that. But notice verse 21. These are not the words of one who has a demon. Friends, here's the takeaway. There are always some who see the truth. I see it today. I see people who reject Jesus. I see people who mock Jesus. But I see others who look at Jesus and they see him for who he really is and they put their trust in him. They receive him. There are always some who see the truth. Now let me just ask you a very straightforward question right here, right now. You you see what Jesus said about himself. You see how he presented himself as God, the one who can raise himself from the dead, as the good shepherd in contrast to those other religious leaders. You saw it, we just talked about it. How does that strike you? What's your reaction? Do you say under your breath because you know it would be rude to say it out loud? He's crazy. Or do you say with reverence, Jesus, you are who you said you are. Friends, here's the point. You can be the one to put your trust in Jesus today. If you look at Jesus and say, he speaks the truth, that's an awfully good sign right there. Isn't that a sign that God's doing something in your life, in your heart right now? Matter of fact, you could say, he brought you to this time and to this place so that you could put your trust in him today and surrender your life and say, Jesus, I choose to follow you today. I choose to repent of my sins. I choose to surrender my life to you right here, right now. I want that to be your day if you've never done it before. And I want every one of us to come under the loving leadership of our great shepherd. Father in heaven, that's my prayer. And I pray, Lord, uh, that if there are any among us this morning who have yet to really surrender their life to you, Jesus, I just pray that you'd show them right now that it's good, that it's true, and that they should choose to give their life to Jesus. Now, Lord, I know that nobody can do that work. Uh, Nobody can make that choice, I should say, unless you do your work in them. But God, I believe you're working all over this room right now. So do it in our midst, Lord. And for every one of us, Lord, I pray especially for those who have felt hurt or wounded or harmed by bad spiritual leadership in the past, that you would help them more than ever to put their eyes on the good shepherd and receive his loving care, his protection, and his goodness. Do it in our midst, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.